0: Good morning everyone, if you would just go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 24 today, let me just second Blake while you're turning there, it is so good to see everybody this morning, people that I haven't seen in a long time, uh, people that I haven't seen before, which is fantastic, and of course those that have been with us all winter too. It's uh, such a joy to see the church uh, more and more full this time of year. Uh, so we're going to continue our journey through Colossians today. Uh, it is a joy to be able to share the riches of God's word with you. It's just such a magnificent book. It's just beautiful how Paul wrote about the Lord Jesus Christ. Please pray with me one more time. Lord Jesus, As we spend time in your word this morning, please soften our hearts to your truth. Help us to appreciate more and more what you have done for us. Help us to continually remember your gospel, to grow in your grace through your word and the Holy Spirit. Give us hearts that long to see your kingdom grow and for you to come again for us all. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Princess Bride is a much-loved story. One of the key characters is a man named Nigo Montoya. If you're familiar with him, you know he is completely motivated by seeking revenge on the six-fingered man who murdered his father. Nigo's obsession drives him to practice swordplay his entire life. All the time, he is seeking to solve the mystery of who this six-fingered man is. When he learns the answer to this mystery... It drives him from the pits of despair to an almost frantic energy. Even whenever he finally confronts his father's killer, he is badly injured in the fight, but he's carried through by his desire for revenge. However, after finally taking that revenge, Nigo is lost without his purpose. He says, it's very strange. I've been in the revenge business so long. Now that it's over, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. Brothers and sisters, what drives your life? It's probably not a quest for revenge. It's easy, however, to let good things like your career or your reputation or your family drive your life. These can be good things, but Paul shows us the best motivation for how we should live. So please read with me in Colossians 124 through 25 today. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order. And the firmness of your faith in Christ. As we begin, it's really helpful to know some historical context here on the book of Colossians. First thing is, it's really unlikely that Paul ever visited this church or the church in Laodicea, which is also mentioned in the text. These two churches made up part of a tri city area, and Paul expected that this letter would be circulated amongst the whole group of Christians there. One other really important fact before we begin is what comes right before this, that high Christological poem, the one that really extols the supremacy of Jesus that John preached on last month. This poem speaks on the gospel and that Jesus has made peace between God and man by his blood. Paul, right after finishing this poem, comes into our passage here today and elaborates on the mystery of Christ with us in chapter 1. Verses 25 through 27. He says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The biggest question that jumps out at me, and I'm sure you as well whenever you read this passage, is what is the mystery of the Christ? This was the question that generations had had prior to Jesus's arrival. This was the big question for all of humanity since the fall. Who was going to be the seed of the woman that was going to crush the head of the serpent? Who was going to be the prophet like Moses, the seed of Abraham, the Davidic king that will reign forever? I can't imagine thinking about it, how hard it was to live your whole life and never know the real answer to these questions, to never see the fulfillment of this all-important mystery. Personally, I can think about how impatient I am every time we have a baby. I am super excited to find out whether it's a boy or girl, as I was telling Tony earlier today. We've never been able to wait until birth, and usually we're going for an early ultrasound to find out, or even now they have a new blood test that lets you know uh, super early. And that's just something that's going to be revealed in less than a year. Can you imagine going your entire lifetime without knowing the answer to the biggest mystery? However, Paul doesn't leave us in suspense. Paul is giving us the answer to the mystery right here. This is making Jesus, Jesus, known to us as the Christ. And that Christ himself abides in us. This is, this is amazing that we have a hope of glory. This is the gospel, dear brothers and sisters. What was hidden yet promised since the foundation of the world. That the Messiah would come and redeem us all with his precious blood. Poured out for us on Calvary. And coming to even reside in us, his new temple. At the same time, he's also set us aside to be his people. His people. His family. However, the statement here isn't just alone about the beauty of Christ, even if that is the main purpose that Paul has in mind. Paul, at the same time, is refuting two groups that were active at this point in history. We have the Judaizers and the Gnostics. The Judaizers were claiming that everybody still needed to follow all of the rituals and types from the Old Testament. They need to follow that Levitical law. The Judaizers uh, or the Gnostics, on the other hand, uh, they were claiming special knowledge that they knew mysteries that were even more important somehow than Christ. Paul is really putting both of them to rest with this. We we know that this is what the Old Testament is pointing to, so you don't need the rituals and types anymore. On the other hand, with the Gnostics, this is the mystery worth knowing. It is all wrapped up in Christ. Don't look for another mystery. It's not worth your time. Know Jesus instead. And what a time it is to know Jesus. What a time we get to live in. That this great mystery is no longer hidden. But we know it. We know the greatest secret of all time, brothers and sisters. The greatest and most important mystery of all the ages. Don't look for something else. This is the best time to live in to truly know Jesus. Reminds me of the Encyclopedia Brown books. I don't know if you read these, uh, but this is one that I really enjoyed during my childhood. You could try to solve the mysteries yourself as you read along. Then you would see how Encyclopedia Brown solved it at the end. It was fun to see what he saw and how each mystery was answered, even if I was never able to really solve it like he was along the way. Could you imagine what it would be like, though, reading those books if there was no answer key? Do you never found out what the uh, solution to the mystery was? This is the same concept that we have going on in our passage today. The Old Testament, first three quarters of your Bible, is the mystery novel. It's showing you lots of answers or, or keys or clues towards Christ. It's pointing forward. But it's now in the back of the book, the last quarter of your Bibles, that we have the answers. We know who the Messiah is. We can look back at the Old Testament and see all of these clues as they're pointed out for us in the New Testament. How amazing is God for showing us this? He could have left us to figure this out on our own, and we would have been quite lost. The best part is is that we can be sure from all of this that we know that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Christ. Imagine, though, what it would be like. It was for most of human history to not have the New Testament. It's not very different from putting your shoes in the disciples. If you were living in the time of Jesus's ministry, how easy would it have been to be like them and think that the Christ was coming to just liberate you from the Romans? We can think that we might think differently in that scenario. But how often do we, even knowing who Jesus is, after seeing that he's come, Still, look to political leaders to try to make things better. To make our lives more enjoyable. To make our country more moral. But it never really happens, does it? As political leaders can't help but fall short of those expectations. Instead, so it is a blessing beyond compare that we have God's word today. That we can know Jesus. And through Him coming to reside in us, that we can know Him personally. And that he will change us. And he will change the whole world when he comes again. Beyond any hope that we could have. Paul describes this life-changing beauty of this mystery. As Christ. In verse 3 of chapter 2. There he says, In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let me repeat that. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge reside in him. Another way of saying it. There is no treasure of wisdom or knowledge outside of Christ. You will not be disappointed in making Christ central to your lives. Family of God, we never think we're choosing poorly at the time, but we always are. We know this from Scripture. Take Esau as an example. He traded his birthright for stew. He sought centrality and satisfaction in several ounces of hastily prepared stew. And we know from scripture that he regretted it until the day that he died. That's a snapshot of what we do when we seek centrality and satisfaction in anything but Christ. We trade Christ for stew. Reputation, a few ounces of stew. Finances, a few ounces of stew. Position. Stew. Family. Stew. Pleasure. Stew. Job. Stew. Comfort. Stew. Marriage. Stew. Christ has given us a salvation and a future inheritance worth far, far more than anything in this life. Yet we are so quick to trade it for stew. Brothers and sisters, don't give up what has lasting value to live for lesser things. Don't choose the stew when you have a glorious inheritance waiting on you. Brothers and sisters, the gospel mystery revealed should become the controlling drive in your lives. And this should make us excited to share the answer to this mystery with everyone. I don't know if you're like me. This is a pattern with me. I'm kind of impatient. But when I get gifts for my family, I have a hard time keeping them a secret. I can't wait for them to hear about it. I want to tell them early. I want them to see it because I've picked out something that I know is going to be wonderful for them. That's just a material gift. Something is here today, gone tomorrow. How much more should we be like that with Christ? We know the answer to the biggest and most important mystery of the entire world. It affects everyone. It impacts everyone. We should not be able to contain good news like that. It should just bubble out of us and flow out of our mouths. We need to live in light of this news. And that is our main point today, that the revealed mystery of the Christ should change our lives by changing what we live for, knowing the answer to the mystery of the Christ. That Jesus has come to reconcile us to God should change our lives and what we live for. However, we don't stop there in our passage today. Paul is pointing us next to ways that we should change from the gospel, from the revealed mystery of the Christ, both in his admonition to the church at Colossae and in his example. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 5. There Paul joyfully says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul and God... Desiring firmness of faith From the church in Colossae From the church in Laodicea From the church right here In Southwest Harbor, Maine This unmovable Faith is achieved by Holding fast to the gospel that you've Heard The very same gospel that Paul is preaching However, brothers and sisters Standing firm is not enough Not just to stand in place We're expected to mature Not stand stagnant. That's because we are all far from perfect, far from being like our Lord, far from knowing all that we can of Him in this life. Paul and God expect us to continue to pursue maturity for our lives. Paul says in verse 28 of our text Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is what we mean. When we use the term sanctification, this is the work of God. This is the work of the Christian in maturing into Christ likeness, becoming more like God himself. How can we stand firm in the faith? How can we grow? Well, one one answer is one thing that we do quite often around here. We have learned it from Jack Miller, the author of Sonship and many other books that we read through in this church as to preach the gospel to yourself. Every day, remind yourself of the revealed mystery of the Christ. We forget so quickly, family of God. We're no different than the Israelites in the wilderness. If you're like me, whenever I read through Numbers, it can be so frustrating sometimes to see the continual forgetfulness and sin of the Israelites, their time in between Egypt and Canaan. It's partially because our story as a church. It's partially because it's my own story too. We do the same thing the Israelites did. We continually forget God's faithfulness. And we try to save ourselves or grumble. We look to other people or other parts of God's creation to fulfill us. This is why we have to preach the gospel to ourselves continually. We must be reminded constantly of what Christ has done and why we need him alone. However, preaching the gospel is not something that we just do alone. We should be under good teaching and preaching. Paul does not neglect his and others' roles like him when in verse 28 he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Brothers and sisters, you will grow by coming to church and hearing the preached word week in and week out. As part of God's normal plan for sanctifying his people. And that plan also includes being in community with other believers. Like what we're doing right now. It's time every Sunday, the times that we spend together throughout the week, whether it's discipleship or women's groups or men's groups or discovery groups or just time together, we encourage and strengthen each other in the faith. Mark Dever has once defined the church as a collection of Christians helping each other to get to heaven. There is considerable weight and truth in that statement. That's what we're doing right here. And that's clearly Paul's understanding and expectation, too, from our passage, that we live this life together. Look at his encouragement for the churches in verse two, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And our hearts should be like this knit together in love. Love for Christ himself. Love because of the love he's shown each of us. It's like the wisdom Solomon gives us in Ecclesiastes 4.12. Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. We are stronger together. Paul, right after encouraging them to be knit together, gives this as his very reason in verse 4, saying... Say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul is very concerned throughout this whole letter that this church holds on to the true faith. Paul is expecting them to stand firm together. God expects us to stand firm together. Another example I've heard very commonly, and I'm sure you have as well, is the story of the lonely ember. was a pastor that had a church member that had not been attending lately not been living in community. So he goes over to the church member's house, comes inside, says not a word, but before he sits down, he takes out a single ember from the fireplace and sets it aside. As they sit in the cold silence, the ember grows dormant. The pastor then gets up to leave. Before he heads out the door, he puts the ember back into the fireplace where it's soon roaring and lit well with the rest of the fire as well. Remember, simply thank the pastor for the fiery sermon and promise to be back in church this Sunday. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, take a moment. Please look around at the rest of your church. Look at your fellow embers. Think about how you have seen them change over the years. If you have been here any length of time, You'll be able to think about how God has developed and changed others through this time together in our church. God uses us together to transform His body. Think about the changes that we've gone through. I can think of just a few ways we have even changed together as a body in just the short five and a half years that we've been here. We've adopted weekly communion, makes the gospel visible more frequently. We've started the internship program, sending new pastors into Maine becoming a sending church. We've seen major growth in our women's and our men's ministries. We've seen our church grow in love and support for each other. We've seen many saints mature into strong Christians and witnesses for our Lord. I know many of you have a much longer lens than I do. You can see further back into the history of this church and see more changes that I don't even know about. However, I just want to tell you all that I am very personally grateful for you all. God has changed my life and my family through being in this church with you all. We love you all, every single one of you. And I thank God for his providence in putting us together with you, our family. And this is another dimension to this beautiful mystery. So, as we said, our main point is the revealed mystery of Christ should change our lives by changing what we live for. The first way that should change us is that we should stand firm in the faith and grow by being in community together, being under good preaching and reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel. However, this community isn't one that exists because of common values, isn't because of common interests, isn't even because of where we live or our demographics, how rich or poor we are, how educated we are, our political party affiliations, or anything else on this earth. We are a community because of Christ. Because he paid the price to make us his people, his family. Brothers and sisters, and I can call you that because of our older brother Jesus and our Heavenly Father. We're not left on our own to mature into Christ's likeness. We will grow because we have God abiding in us, because we have the perfect father, because we have the perfect older brother holding us together. Even closer and even more, we have God abiding in us. As Paul says in verse 27, because God is in us, it is inevitable that we will grow to be more like him. It's unthinkable that the living God dwelling within you would not produce greater and greater holiness. The Bible has no room for that concept. Think about the verses that Blake used to open this morning. Even the ground at the burning bush was holy. It may not be a straight line, but God will accomplish his purposes. No attempt of mine or yours can stop him. It's like if you put Martha Stewart, the Property Brothers, and any number of experts into an old and disrepaired home isn't ever, with well, that home is going to get updated and it's going to look like a model home in 30 minutes, right? God is not less than him, but more than them. He will take our broken and dead spirits and he will carefully revive, mend, and train us into who we should be, made in his, God, his own image reflecting him. And because this is true, that the revealed mystery of the cross should change our lives by changing what we live for that he has made us his family and resides in us. This provides for another way that we can grow, brothers and sisters. And how we can care for others in our family. This goes even beyond our community and preaching that contribute to our holding fast and growing in the faith here. This is through our struggle for others in the gospel. We can look to this example that Paul sets for us. We should imitate him as he imitates Christ. Can you hear the passion that Paul has in this passage for people that he has never met? You can just see, just like Inigo Montoya's revenge drove him his whole life, Paul is being motivated solely by Christ. It's not practicing swordplay for him, but it is suffering on behalf of Christ and struggling for his people. He's praying earnestly for them. Please reread re- with me verses 1 through 5. We're going to listen for Paul's heart for these churches, the warmth and love that he has for them, despite the fact that he never met them. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we should imitate this drive of Paul's. This is a reflection of our Lord's heart. We should pray... And care for Christians, no matter where they are in the world. Whether or not they are persecuted, whether or not they're facing challenges in their culture, we should pray for them to stand fast. You may be thinking, Kent, this sounds hard. But can you imagine Paul's difficulties? He was a Pharisee, a Jew of Jews, that, that hated all others, all Gentiles, wouldn't even go into their homes feeling it would make him unclean to be associated with them. He was that before Christ met him on the road to Damascus. And now he was struggling this way for Gentiles that he had never even met. The old Paul would have never been able to do this. It is only because of Christ and his love for us that we are able to love others like this. Brothers and sisters, as you think through how to start to love someone that you may have never met, consider C.S. Lewis' advice. Do not waste time wondering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. For one example, where to start? The church in China has been growing rapidly in recent years despite very high levels of persecution. Virtually every home church there has experienced persecution of some time, yet they grow. We should pray for our brothers and sisters in China to stand fast. We, like Paul, will likely never meet them, but we should pray for them regardless. Closer to us, we should pray for and encourage the missionaries our church supports. We know they are spreading the true gospel. We should pray for them and for those that hear them. Even closer to us, we should pray for other gospel churches in Maine, like Christ the King Church in Belfast, or First Baptist of Bar Harbor, or the Hansons' new church, Bill's Advent Christian Church. We should pray for the Hansons to be a steadfast witness for those that hear them in the new mission. Southwest Harbor Congregational Church, reach out and encourage them. We should also pray for a new intern, and the people that will eventually hear him as well. He will need support and encouragement, whoever he is, when he arrives, as he grows in our church, as he's sent out to another church in Maine, as he stays for years faithfully in Maine. As we have said so far, the revealed mystery of Christ should change our lives by changing what we live for. We've talked about how this causes us to stand firm and to grow in the gospel by being in community together. It causes us to be one family across all believers everywhere. And we begin to care for those that we have not even yet met. However, there is one final expectation that we should have. One more way that we see in our passage that we should change because of the revealed gospel. Brothers and sisters, like Paul, we will suffer for the gospel. Look at me at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. This is going to be true for us all. Some of us will suffer more than others. Our brothers and sisters in China may suffer in extreme ways, even to the point of martyrdom. We may not be called to that, but we will suffer as we grow grow as we share, as we display Christ to the world in our words and deeds. It may be that it holds you back in your work, that people disparage you or ridicule you or ignore or avoid you. I want you to know, though, that that suffering is temporary. It is short. The day of the Lord comes soon for us all, whether when we die or when Christ comes back. It is not far away. So dedicate your life to Christ. Count it all joy when suffering comes, as Paul does. This isn't to say that you won't have sorrow or suffer in your life. But when you do, count it as joy. John Calvin's statement on this is especially helpful in seeing why we should. He says, he, Paul, assigns a reason why he is joyful in his sufferings. Because he is in this thing a partner with Christ. And nothing happier can be desired than this partnership. He also brings forward a consolation common to all the pious, that in all tribulations, especially insofar as they suffer anything for the sake of the gospel, they are partakers of the cross of Christ, that they may enjoy fellowship with him in a blessed resurrection. Brothers and sisters, when that suffering comes, You can count it as joy because you can feel it as fellowship with your Lord. This is how, like Paul, we fill up what is lacking. It's not that what we do merits anything. It's not that our suffering absolves any sins. It's that the Lord gives us fellowship with him, even in suffering for the gospel. This is necessary for what God will accomplish through his people and for the church. Family of God. The mystery of Christ, the gospel, is finally revealed. Jesus should become the controlling drive of your life. He will change you. Like ego Montoya practices swordcraft, even more, we should read and know our Bibles to be ready for those moments. We should grow in our faith in Christ's likeness, together as a church, through preaching and teaching, through prayer for one another, Like an ego will do anything in his quest for revenge. We should struggle with all our might for the gospel and all of our family. Let nothing stop us. So read diligently. Love Jesus. Preach the gospel to yourself and others. Pray mightily on behalf of the church. Be prepared to suffer for his name. All because we have a hope of glory in Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your son, for revealing to us the mystery that has long been hidden. Make you your glory and your gospel central to our lives. Cause our hearts and minds to grow in love and faith and knowledge of you. Help us to become more like you. Help us to stand firm in faithfulness. Heavenly Father, we ask not only for ourselves, but we also ask that you be with your church across the world. Encourage and provide for the churches that hold fast to you. We pray for our missionaries. Please bless their work. Please bless everyone that hears them and learns from them. Lord, make miracles happen on Beals Island. Grow your church in that community. Lord, please give us a heart for each other here in Southwest Harbor. Knit us together as your body. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.